And so the title for today is A Father Without a Bother is a Dad That's Glad. I know, you'll have to ponder that for a little bit. We had a typo this morning and it would have been much harder for you to understand. The typo was a father without a brother is a dad that's glad. <laughs> Unfortunately, I caught that at about copy 120. <laughs> Those are now being committed to a fire, so you do not have to worry about that. <laughs> it was a long night for Christy, but I might have penned it wrong. Maybe I did say that. At any rate... <laughs> Here's the point with that title that I do believe is inspirational. We can find that as a kickoff in a beautiful passage of scripture that David himself penned. I'm directing you to Psalm 122, and I'll direct you to another Psalm that I believe has great correlation. It's important to be able to see the Lord's heart with regard to a father that isn't bothered, a dad who's glad. And it starts somewhere. So let's start it with God and let's start it in the Psalms. 122, if you would turn there. Verse 1 says, and here's our anchor verse. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let's stop there. So the gates of Jerusalem would have been the entry point by which any who visited, were hosted, were in residence. That's where they would enter. But something beyond that protective area, that space in which only admittance would be permitted if, in fact, you were one who came both as a pilgrim or as one who was a resident Jew. It was to assure you that those who come are coming both in peace and they are coming to rejoice. And so this being cited needs to also be put in context that this isn't the temple proper that very often we associate right now with Jerusalem. Even it, as we see remnants of it today, far different. Because there would have been a third one that was erected after grievous destruction. David right now is penning what would have been the rejoicing of his heart that in a throng of people, they were coming alongside him, going to a place that his heart beat for. Within this, very likely David is a father, but there isn't much attention being given to that domestic part. The domestics seem to be all tributed towards this action of moving to the house of God, which in that case would have been the tabernacle that place that would be preparatory to what Solomon would be given, the duties for ultimately delivering to God's people a place of profound and renowned worship. But in this, I love what it says, staircase after staircase, there were steps 
And it led up to this place that David would find himself just drawn to. So how does that, how does that link to this title right now? Because as it continues on, the house of the Lord, the feet that once stood at the gates of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord our God. I was glad. I was glad. There's a gladness that comes when men, as both tribal people, meaning you want to be with your brethren, you know that in your heart to be with your brethren, to go to the place in which God is worshipped does your soul good. And it's preparatory to making the excellency of your domestics even better. We have the privilege of not being divided as we go to the place of the Lord, seeking gladness in his presence. We get to come as a community of husbands and wives. In the older system, there was a division of who got to go. And so when you see this, this was rather exclusive. The woman would have a place that they could go, but they couldn't go arm in arm with their spouses. Fathers in the gladness that is upon them and ultimately that the joy in which they can pass on to their families are rooted in this passion to be in the house of the Lord. I know that for me, for the years that I evaded the Lord, ran from him, whatever, took solace in my own attentions. I remember that when I moved to step into the house of the Lord and to take my seat with my brothers and my sisters, when I was far in the back, just testing whether or not I wanted to stay, the Lord touched my heart and I knew that it had been confirmed by the manner in which I moved back into my professional vocation, which was teaching when I unlocked the door to my classroom and prepared it for the kids that would be coming at eight, I was there at six. And there was a happiness that overwhelmed me. I knew that it had to be del totally deliberately linked with my return to the Lord. And everything thereafter began to have a richer meaning and a deeper influence on me, the person that I ultimately became, the personality that ultimately was found to be identified with me. It was all because of the fact that when I stepped into that place, the gladness that I had and the joy that was mine affected then everything that I did, everything that I became, even to impress one who became my wife and to have children that along with her became impressionable. And you know the way that goes. There's something about what the Lord does in our management of being fathers that is highly influential to those who observe us and providential to those whom we have charge of, our sons and our daughters. It's the fact of the matter is that the more of God that's in a man's life the more life he has to live in the experiences that are blessed. And there is a season, even as we talked about 
the sisters, the moms, in which there is a waiting period. There's a time in which that whom we are associating with Father's Day, our children, they may have a time just like we did in which they're trying to figure out what's their priority. What are they going to do? Where are they going? What has God in their life when it seems as though the gladness that we have in pursuing the face of God is right now tamped down, dismissed for a season? I've confessed I was one of those. 16 years I calculated. Man, what a waste. But God redeemed me. So happy for that. I want to continue on in this because that gladness related simply to this title changes our disposition. Very often our dispositions are affected by our position in life. Our disposition is affected by the position that we occupy. Best position, if you want your disposition to change, is on your knees. With your Bibles open, somewhere seated, standing in the throng of the congregation. Fathers, it's really important that our kids both have a history of recalling that and seeing us. It's really important. And by the way, it has been effectual. In whatever in the manner that you've done it and wherever you have done it, it has worked. It is important. They're the generation that gets to be handed the baton. David was thrilled to be able to go beyond the gates and up the stairs and to be in the presence of the Lord with his brethren. And he was a father. And as you know, recorded in the scriptures, there's high dysfunction in his fathering. God doesn't focus on that. God focuses on the heart of David. The consequences would be lived out. Could have done better. But God emphasizes the heart that this man had for the Lord. It's a city that was built. The church can be likened to a city too, a small city, a medium city, a large city. You're all ambassadors somewhere in this city. And this is a city in which the light of God is able to shine. Highly influential fathers for you to be here. Highly influential for you to remain in prayer for the generation that you inspired in the path that you still hold. Move over to Psalm 27. 27 is a motivational verse for you, fathers. Me too. It's probably one of my favorite passages. I'm going to pick it up. In verse 4. One thing have I desired, fathers, of the Lord, that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold, note, the beauty of the Lord. Here's the benefit of being in the house of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, 
Are we in troubling times, fathers? Yep. Are your kids perhaps vulnerable to the troubling of the times? Yep. That he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of, note this, joy. Where does that joy come from? It comes from the Spirit of God that resides within us. And so whenever you're tapped into the house of the Lord, fathers, the result of that, the benefit to that is the joy that you bring into your house from this house. You may not say you see it, but it's what God sees as that is both becoming your reality and no longer criticism, but it's actually an attribute that God has done in your life. You can just see it. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have a day in which that was not seen, but it means that more of your days will be the evidence of gladness from being in the house of the Lord. Praise that so easily comes off of your lips. Prayer that you are not ashamed to offer before your tribe within the constitution of your country, your freedom to speak it and to pray it. Your personal constitution, that's how are you feeling? What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you have a test? Is it a curse or is it a blessing? When you're seeing the testimony, which you have been, of really taking people to the throne room of God through prayer and praying for the things that we say are lost, gone, tragically unmendable, we're seeing God answer prayer, fathers, over your children. It's important. And so as this continues just beautifully, that secret place of his tabernacle, the Lord just shelters us. And then he sets us on high, changes our depression into elevation worship. Hear, O Lord, verse 7, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, notice this, fathers, seek my face. The Lord's saying this, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. The benefit of this is the confidence that David is able to offer of knowing that he is being heard. His prayers will be answered. The God of his salvation. Verse 10 documents that a father and a mother will ultimately be those who forsake. Does it mean by turning their back on their kids? It's usually episodic, meaning that one day they won't be there. One day I won't be there for my kids as my father and mother are no longer here for me. Many things I would have loved to have had them see in my life, but they saw enough to know that the decisions I ultimately made were brought back around because 
of what they had done as father and mother. Couldn't see at all, but they saw enough of their son to say, praise God, Richard's finally turning out to be something. <laughs> Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. And do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. Verse 13, jumping there, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is the land of the living. Out there is the land of the dying. When we take the life that the Lord has given to us, and we do so because it's a life that the Spirit has given to us, it transacts out there as a message of hope. It too, for those who have been lost and perhaps having left the Lord is a reminder that God's not through with them. Never forget, fathers, that those whom you see out there are spiritual children regardless of their age. I saw one of them hop on as they crossed 101 a cart. And by the way, that individual was in church last week. But today on a shopping cart, like a skateboard, he was using it and almost playing in the traffic. And I said to myself, Lord bless that son, that he might bring his shopping cart here and put in his cart the word of truth as he knows. Because there are sons and daughters that are lost, the Lord would say to the mothers and the fathers here today, don't give up hope and talk to me about them. It's cool when the Lord touches us and challenges us on how to do that. But this closes on verse 14, which is where I'm now taking us. And it says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. The heart that David had, that the scriptures God himself acknowledges pleased him is ours as well. He's going to strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Don't wait on anything else. First, put God first and see how the other is revealed. I'm going to ask you to as well give me some additional time here. There's a area that I think we would call documents of prudence. I'm going to see if I can find this very quickly because it's somewhere in all of my sticky notes. And see if some of these just kind of re-stimulate your thinking with regard to fatherhood and also our responsibility as fathers. They're practical, but they're also intended to be received and applied. Some of them will be reminders to you, and some of them may be revelations to you. I found them to be exceedingly encouraging. Here's one of them. You can take the note, go back to it later, or just listen, because faith is increased even simply by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Exodus 20, 
verse 12. This was penned. In that time, it was definitely intended. A message of wisdom and command from God to fathers. Why? And you'll see how this works. It's voiced to the children, but you'll see why it pertains to the fathers and to the mothers. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. This is one of those things that's different than a rhetorical question. It's actually motivational because in it the father and the mother would see, oh, not only now is that a command of instruction to my children, but with it comes the responsibility of being worthy of that honor. God would say no matter how your father and mother were, your blessing comes in honoring them. But for the parent that would have seen that law, they would have said, things have to change. Things have to be different in our relationship with God. Things have to be in order in our house. We have a responsibility to our children that the flow of honor is a result of honorable conduct between us. It's different than rhetorical, which is to extract, if you would, an answer from the question being asked of us. It's actually inspirational. That's why you can live with certainty and teach your kids, you should, obviously, that honor is due a father and a mother. But the statement compels us to be those who draw closer to God that the value of that honor, the need for that honor, is received as from the Lord. And you go, praise God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the manner and means by which you've challenged me to be the father that I need to be. And little by little, you're helping me move, if you would, either in penning this or to the scriptures, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7. This is the responsibility of us as fathers. It does not dismiss the mother at all. But the emphasis right now is the fathers that we are sitting here. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. In order for the words of God to be in the heart, they need to be in the mind of a man who takes seriously the reading of Scripture and the teaching from Scripture. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, prayer time in the home, around the table, in the evening, a devotional word. Some people, and men in particular, say, well, I'm not a pastor like you, I'm not a teacher. There's so many wonderful devotions these days that can be read at the dinner time, at breakfast time, at fellowship opportunities that basically are allowing you to be easily both a teacher and a pastor shepherding over the heart. Really not too many excuses, even where we would do this in our family, reading through the Proverbs as we're teaching through the Proverbs on Thursdays, reading through the Psalms as we have been taught the Psalms in about 11 years. You just take it one verse at a time, one chapter at a time, 
men, that's what we need to be able to do to teach our children, talking with them about the Lord as we sit in our house, when we walk with them through life, giving them scriptures of encouragement, when we lie down, we were those, as you, I believe, as well, prayed with your kids before they closed their eyes. And when you didn't, what would you hear in the bedroom? Mom, Dad, you going to pray with us? And then when you rise up, God bless you, kids. It's interesting because my kids began to do what was my custom, which was rising early, Christy's custom too. But where Christy found a cozy place, I would put my shoes on and find an uncomfortable walk, and I would go out. And all of a sudden, my kids are doing good. Where are you going? Uh, talk with the Lord. Do you have your flashlight? No? You need a flashlight. Do you have a taser? No? Just my Bible. Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> They're following in my footsteps, and I'm afraid about where they're going. It's crazy. You have my stick for clunking somebody? No, just God. Nevertheless, as I humor you on that, isn't that a wonderful thing is to see that transaction of what it is we were seen doing or what it is they heard us doing, that now they go about in the doing of it. Joshua 1.9 says this with regard to, I believe, an attribute of fathers. Be courageous. Be courageous. You can see your courage being passed on to your kids. Even as I joke that I have cowardice tendencies, I'm actually very strong in standing up for the Lord, for principles of the Lord. I'm just not a cliff diver. I'm not a skydiver. I don't do skiing trips. I don't dive in oceans, which are... For me, a bait tank for their snack. <laughs> My kids do that. I'm an academician. I'm a scholar. I sing. That's what I do. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid. And so where we're now getting, as you would, men being accused of being insensitive and toxic masculinity, that's... That's the psychology of the world. Your masculinity, our masculinity, is to be esteemed, balanced in the power of the Holy Spirit and the demeanor that God gives us in the fruit of the Spirit. We have nothing to be ashamed about. There are some men that are called a man's man because of the manner by which they enjoy enthusiastically the rigors of life. We have many of you in here that, in my opinion, that's who you are. Tree climbers, rock climbers, river swimmers. You're far different from me, but I don't think of myself any less. I just have a disposition that's a bit unique for who I am. But we do not have to at all apologize for being men perhaps not as sensitive because we very often are not as sensitive that's a gifting definitely as an attribute that women are given the lord says that we are to take courage not to be afraid and not be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go take that masculinity that's beautifully 
partnered up with meekness that God gives to us, even as Jesus was all-powerful and meek, and do the things that God has told you to do as a man of God, as a husband, as a parent. Joshua 24, 15, he's about ready to retire, literally, and he is challenging the people that are around him who have perhaps worried themselves spiritually. And he says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river. That's what you got to go back to. If that's what you're going to do, you're going to do it. But he says this, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Nothing's changing. The way that I started off with Moses is the way that I will finish my life with you. You choose, but this is the way that I'm going to live. To the period, to the closure, as one who follows as I begin my walk with the Lord. Very encouraging. Psalm 103, 13, you can mark that down. What does it say? As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. What is this showing to us just in that little snippet? It's saying that even fathers who are courageous and exude what you would call godly masculinity, it says that they have as a part of their nature, much like God's, the ability to pity at times the disposition of their children. That's why we feel for them. That's why our heart at times breaks for them. We're not so tough that we aren't tender. And tenderness is an attribute that God gives to us. It hurts, and you know that you're tender because there's a pain in you, and you wish you didn't have to be pained at times with regard to your children. But in my opinion, it's a passing pain as we trust the Lord, confident that He's good, and as much as we love our kids, he loves them as much or more so because they are his children. I love that concerning a father who is both highly courageous and strong and masculine, has all of the things that are inspiring to those whom he walks with, the brothers that he chooses to be a part of, and yet he's a tender man with regard to the responsibility of the rearing of children and the oversight of children. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 teaches us as fathers that we at one time were corrected and as children it's something that still needs to be employed and God teaches us how to do that. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. A father that delights in his children is one who was subject to correction by God as his child. God is one who sees us as those whom he raises, and his course is ultimately to mature us and to bless us and for us to be influencing the blessings of others. And so one of the things about correction is there's a biblical way to do it and there's a cultural way to do it. You need to understand that the biblical way is right. The cultural way is not right. 
in teaching, we had a methodology called assertive discipline. And it meant that what you said was expected to be done. And if it wasn't, then you would assert yourself to see that obedience would be satisfied. And it didn't mean with cruelty. Some teachers were cruel. In my generation, cruelty in being a teacher was a qualification. <laughs> my ear is still on my head, but back in the day, that was an object of both torture and submission. And the only thing that saved us at times was that I was a twin, and so my brother would get confused with me, and I'd get confused with him. We both got our ears torn off. We both stood in trash cans in the corner. I can't remember if it was one leg up or two legs up, but I think the two legs up didn't do me any good. There was a time in which teaching meant torture. I became a teacher unlike my torturers. I remembered the very best of the teachers that I had, and I said I will never be like those who I did not like. The important point here is that parenting, fathering, requires chastening. The disciplining hand of the Lord through you in the high expectation that what you say, you expect to be done. And we did that with our kids, all four of them. And there was fruit in that. And there's fruit at any time. Grandparents, grandfathers, there's fruit in that. And so the Lord commissions the father, paired up with mom, to discipline your kids, chastening them, even as the Lord God has chastened us for our good. In the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 14, 26 says, there is strong confidence. And so what fathers are to do as well is to show that you revere the Lord. It's not fearing God, it's revering the Lord that you have a special place to be as a father with your spouse, with your wife, and with your family together as you rear them. Proverbs 22, 6, probably memorized by most, most of you, train up a child in the way he should go. Our children we're discovering have a path that they are following. And we're as amazed in that as any of you are in your children's lives. And you assess it. Is it a godly way? If it's a godly way, then irrefutably, it's one that you can say, I'm back in this one. I'm going for this one. I've raised them to love God. God is touching their heart and persuading them to go here, stay there. And you endorse it because it's God's way. You teach them about how not to get confused with regard to God's way. And the reason for that is there are times when testings and trials and culture can persuade and bend their ear. But here, if that does happen, it says this. When he's old, he will not depart from it. There's something about the means by which we teach our kids that as they mature and as they are able to say, man, the things that mom and dad said were true and I got it wrong. They will not depart from the words that you gave them. They will return. You may not be able to see it, 
but they will return and they will be celebrating your consistency in that. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, closing on this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The repetition is to honor your father and mother. That's with a promise. But the emphasis, again, is to say obedience. You teach your children obedience. And if obedience means consequence, you reverently look to the Lord. How is this to be ministered? But it very often is not count to three. It's taking an account on what you said and following through with what must be done. And you do so courageously and you do so reverently because to ignore it creates an idea that it's not significant enough. We've been there before. The point I was making about the teaching that I learned as a public school educator is that I wanted my kids to respond with one voice. I did not want to ever have to say three times, sit down, sit down. And so I developed a methodology that I learned from somebody who was a wise man. It was called the freeze bell. It was one tap of a little bellhop's bell. And they learned that when that sounded, everything stopped. They learned that if that didn't happen, then the consequence was for them pretty tragic. You got five minutes you need to spend in class during recess. And they learned behavioral modification through the discipline of consequence to where my classes, I never had to worry about turning my back. I never had to worry about that. And that's the same true. Behavior modification comes by being consistent with your word. It's not by simply tricking them. It's being consistent with your word in disciplining them. In closing, fathers, 1 Timothy 6.11, which is a principle, says this, but you, O man of God, flee these things. This is what we're to flee. Love of money. Doesn't mean you can't have money. You guys need to understand, stewardship in the kingdom of God is very important. It means that it doesn't have for you the persuasion of the excuse of why you can't be growing as a brother in your faith and being a model for excellency as a godly man. Greediness and sorrows. They seem to be linked up. The love of money, which leads to greediness, which leads to sorrows. It says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. That's our pursuit. When the principles of godliness are being applied and we have been those who as fathers have matured through discipline, we're not bothered by a lot of things. Rather, we're blessed by practically everything. For if it's a test and trial, we were told to be ready. And we are also told in the scriptures as men, wisdom will be granted to us in everything that we ask the Lord for. 
And we're also told as men of God that God is sure to hear us, bends low his ear to incline our prayers and to answer them. God's answering prayer today, men of God, fathers of children, your children are watching your lives be a reality of God meeting your needs. If he can find a GoPro camera at the bottom of the ocean to inspire fourth and fifth and sixth graders, is anything too difficult for God? No. That's what's so cool about the testimony. Some of you are marrying your children off, just like we did, and some of you before we ever did. Thanks for doing that. Actually, thanks for showing us what it's like. That's important to acknowledge. We have Robbie and Julia getting married in one week. What a beautiful transition that we have a generation of young people that started off as singles that were raised as unto the Lord. And we're passing them on into our generation to be highly influential. They were children raised to love the Lord for Brett and Christie. You have a little bit while to tag your anniversary, but we have Stephen and Karis that celebrated their anniversary yesterday, right? Or today? Today's your anniversary. One year, they sit among us. They actually drove all the way from Grants Pass today to be here. Medford. Whew. What's into you, God? Just to be here with you guys an anniversary. And so wonderful things, fathers and mothers, to celebrate. Wonderful things. It's pretty awesome. 